This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 37. Well, it was almost two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, so I got a late night. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, it's okay, it's okay. I'm a hardcore geek. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 37. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that call our fantasy and TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are Black Cotton Issue 1 from Scout Comics and we finish our Castlevania review of finished Season 3 on Netflix. And spoiler warning, this is a review show, so if you have not had a chance to read Black Cotton or watch all of Castlevania on Netflix, you might want to pause this and come back later. And then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. We also, this week, were on uh, Rocky Robbie's Pop Culture Philosophers YouTube channel. Uh, oh, boy, that night. was fun. Yeah, it was almost two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, so I got a late night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm a hardcore yeah. geek. Yeah. So, Mar- Mark was oh. down for the count. Like, he was ready. He was like, no, no, we can keep talking. Everybody else was like, ah, no, you should probably go to bed. <laughs> I think in the long run, it was better that I went to bed. Yeah. So, I-, I was enjoying myself, though. Like, um, Robbie was a good host. Yeah. For well. once, like, and, uh, normally I'm not even on the same time zone as somebody else, but me and Robbie are on the same time zone. So that was easy mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like, especially with everything else that you had going on so oh yeah being in te- how's texas <sighs> finally feels like it's sort of stabilizing i didn't have it uh as bad off as so many other people thank god like no burst pipes or anything like that but uh i was out of power until from monday morning at about 2 a.m so basically like sunday night monday morning at 2 a.m until about wednesday evening at about 6 p.m the power came back uh but the the so i woke up after the power went out on monday and i was kind of like it's kind of cold in here and the temperature kept dropping throughout the day inside by the time i went to bed monday night it was in the 40s inside my apartment um i could see my breath when i was walking through my living room it was i i've never experienced anything like that before um I put on every piece of winter gear that I had. So thankfully I had gone to Canada two years ago. So I had a whole bunch of stuff that's been sitting in my closet because it doesn't, it never gets this cold here. And for people that don't kind of know like the geography, I am literally less than an hour from the Gulf of Mexico. So I am, I am really far south. So for us to have these sub-freezing temperatures, it's not normal for us. Um, so I spent about an hour in my car on Monday night trying to heat up. There were several other people in my parking garage at my complex that were doing the same thing. Uh, I went back, slept one more night in my apartment. So Monday night, I slept here again. And I woke up Tuesday morning and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And then that was when I kind of hit my phone, just checking on family, begging people like, do you have room for me? Can I come? Do you have power? Do you have water? Can I come to your place? And uh, so I had been house sitting for a friend and she was like, yes, please go to my house. I can tell, like she said, she could tell that the power was still on because she could access her thermostat on her phone. And I was like, okay. So I got there and literally as soon as I drive up, I can see that there's water gushing from the side of her house. So she had a pipe burst the before I got there. So her house did have power, which meant that there was heat and I could make myself a hot meal um, because previously on Monday, all I ate was 
tuna. I had a can of tuna for breakfast and a can of tuna for dinner. Oh. <laughs> um, I hate tuna. Oh, so like I, I usually don't keep junk food. So I didn't have like chips or anything like that in my pantry, like as dry goods. Uh, and, and by like Monday night, you could already smell like some of the stuff in my refrigerator had gone bad because it had already been out for about 24 hours at that point. So I get to her place. And like I said, the, the pipe is burst. So I turn off the water to the entire house and it's like, well, thankfully this is a giant house. There were four bathrooms in the house. And I was like, I'm here all by myself (laughs) with four bathrooms. So that's four chances to flush a toilet and, and I should be okay. Um, and then, so I slept there on Tuesday. So I had heat and power. And like I said, I made myself a hot meal. Uh, Wednesday, the ice started to melt. So I put buckets outside to collect water and then brought those buckets inside. And that's what I used to flush the toilets the rest of the time that I was there. So again, this all started Monday morning at about 2 a.m. So finally, Friday, <laughs> Friday at, I want to say like noon, my best friend, Uh, who lives in LA right now she was like look I called my mom I told her your situation my mom is expecting you to come over to her house she has water she has power please go to my mom's house so I pack up all my stuff from my friend's house I go to my best friend's mom's house which I haven't seen my best friend's mom in like years I've talked to her on the phone and stuff but like I haven't seen her in years so she's like yeah 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 so I got my hot shower and let me tell you something just being able to have a hot shower after a week of like doing the whole like boil some water in a pot and then use the water to kind of wipe everything down it's like oh my god a hot shower makes you feel human again so finally on friday i got a hot shower got back to my apartment uh i had power i had water (sighs) so it's again starting to normalize uh i have not had a chance to get to the grocery store yet so tomorrow is going to be my opportunity to see what the grocery stores look like but i literally have nothing in my refrigerator so i have got to get to the grocery store tomorrow otherwise i'm going to be eating another can of tuna (laughs) but to come full circle um we obviously did the pop culture philosophers and i remember you were in in i could see you were in someone else's house yes i was in uh, someone else's house using someone else's internet yes i was yeah yeah (laughs) but so it was good though that you managed to have a good time on thursday with us oh my god it was a nice break yeah like i i have been so tired and somebody was like well why are you so tired you didn't go anywhere and i was like but you don't understand the mental stress of a reaching out to everybody that i know that is here to make sure that they're okay um Mm. because like everybody's like well why didn't you go to your parents well i could have gone to my parents but my parents lost power too so my parents are now displaced and they're with other people and also we're still in a pandemic so do i really want to be in a house with 12 other people in a pandemic or you know like there's so many decisions that you have to make and it's just kind of like i am mentally beat like i friday so friday was the first time so a whole week i was pretty much out of my apartment and friday was the first time i came back i literally went to bed at like eight o'clock like i I got home and i ate something i actually i ordered takeout because finally restaurants were open again so i ordered some takeout i scarfed it down like (laughs) like i haven't eaten in who knows how long and and then i literally just went straight to bed it's just like i'm so beat like i'm i'm so beat so i'm i'm Grateful to be back. Grateful to finally have power and stuff again. But oh boy, I was going to say, I was going to say, I saw um, 
even that you're the leadership of Texas. He stood by you guys. To, oh, you yeah, know. he did. He stood oh, by yeah. us all the way to go to the airport and get his ass on a plane and go to Cancun, <laughs> Mexico. Mm-hmm. Oh, honestly, I couldn't believe it. I just thought all politicians, it doesn't matter what country <laughs> you're in, they're all the same. I think, um, was it uh, when we had our lockdown in November, just before they announced the lockdown, about three or four hours before uh, one of our MPs, Rishi Sunak, he shot off to go up north about because and then when the lockdown happened in november it was like right okay from i don't know was it eight o'clock tonight you can't leave your house you can't leave your town whatever and everyone was like well flipping out rishi Sunak five hours ago drove up north so clearly you know to be with all his family and he claimed he didn't know that lockdown was happening yeah right yeah the right chancellor, the chancellor didn't know that yeah. you know the guy in charge sure. of the money the sure. guy in charge of the money didn't know that we were going to another lockdown didn't okay, have a clue right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they didn't fill in the guy who runs the budget. Like, yeah. and, you know, by the way, yeah. we're going to need some more furlough money. Uh, <laughs> to, you know, so, but yeah, it looks like you know, it doesn't matter what country you're in, all politicians look out for themselves. So. Man, yeah, that was that was uh, a big uh, ordeal here. So, um, yeah, I literally we did not get, I didn't get any work done. Um, there were obviously no trips to the office. Most of my coworkers didn't get power back until Wednesday as well. Um, so it's just, and, and it's one of those things like, so I, I live within the Houston city limits. All of my family lives outside of the city limits. So more of them had power and water than the, those of us inside the city limits did. Um, so I have spent most of my time this week far, far away. And um, of course, with, with the water shortages and food shortages come gasoline sort- shortages. So it was like, so I could go to a relative's house to have a hot shower. However, I have to drive 80 miles to get there from where I am right now. So do I really want to waste that? So 80 miles one way and then 80 miles back. And it's like, do I really want to waste 160 miles during a gasoline shortage? Because what if I need to drive someplace else? So, I mean, like there's all kinds of decisions that are running through your head when stuff like this happens and you have to make these decisions on the fly. I'm grateful. I'm, I mean, I'm just me. Like, I don't have any kids. I don't have any pets. So I didn't have to worry about, like, keeping anything else warm other than myself. But it's been a hell of a week, that's for sure. I was going to say, like, um, I mean, they, they, we always joke about the weather between us. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, like, the last month or so, it snowed here, like, three or four times. And, like, you're like, oh, horrible. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I am not but, a like, fan of cold weather. <laughs> But, but I'm like, uh, but for everything you've been telling me, I've never, I would never experience anything like it. We've had so when I, where I used to live before was in like, um, just outside London, a different place outside London. Um, yeah, it's like at the bottom of a valley and stuff, and mm-hmm. it was all, it was always like a snow trap, mm-hmm. and there's there's only two ways in and out of where I used to live, and whenever the snow would come, it would just be chaos, like absolute chaos. The entire town would shut down. Um, but there was one time, it was about 10 years ago, where the snow was really bad. So I used to work outside of where I lived, like in a different part of London. Um, but it was near my mum and dad, so I didn't actually go home for three days. I, uh, I left my wife, who, um, yeah, yeah, she was pregnant. So I had to leave her on her own for three days, like in our, uh, in our apartment. Uh, obviously, I told her to not leave the apartment. There was enough food in there for her. Like, no power or electric. We didn't lose any of that, yeah. So I had to, so I couldn't get home for like three days because the roads were just so bad. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but when I was at my parents, it was still snowy and icy and everything, but it just, I knew it wasn't anywhere near as bad as where she was, but it's because to get from where I was working to where, where we lived, had to get on a motorway uh, when you guys got mm -hmm. highway and um like but it was just so bad and yeah. there was a there, there was a girl in the office we both lived in the same town i remember she so the next day she said she went home that night um and i went really i went how did you how, how did you get on she said it took me 10 hours to get home oh my and, gosh uh, and it's a half an hour drive it was a half oh an hour drive my gosh, and my gosh. um I, and I i i said to, you know i was like i'm so glad i said to my mom and dad's um oh my god i can't um, i can't imagine i now i did have to drive through icy conditions to get to my friend's house on tuesday that was nerve-wracking again we're we're so close to the gulf of mexico we are so far south in texas it's just like this is this none of us are used to this and and people make fun of us all the time because like if we have an ice day this the whole city literally shuts down we have no idea how to drive on ice none none I whatsoever know. i think and, unless you live in canada no one does oh my so, gosh. Like, so like can... I, I was on the freeway and i'm and you can see like it's the middle of the day i made sure that when i left it was the middle of the day the sun is out it's bright i can see the road conditions but it was just like there were so many 18 wheelers on the roads and they had been traveling for so long that they had snow caked up on their trailers so every time they hit a bump giant chunks of muck like snow and ice would fall off of the trailer so it's like not only do i have to avoid the ice patches on the lanes now i have to i have to pay special attention to the 18 wheelers because i definitely don't want a piece of ice to fall off your trailer and like crack my windshield oh yeah yeah oh okay let's let's start let's <laughs> let's, let's let's kick off gigs and niche uh news <clears throat> of the week um but yeah it's been a cold week for you fairly yeah. <laughs> warm one for me yeah. <laughs> um john wesley ship who is probably most well known for well, I think I only know him for two roles, Dawson's Creek, which I've never seen, um, and The Flash mm -hmm. from, I think it was the 90s. I love that show. And then I loved it <laughs> that he, they brought him into The Flash as um, Barry Allen's dad. But he will be guest starring in CW Stargo in season two. So, um, so CW um, kind of at the end of Crisis showed a tiny little snippet of Stargirl when they created the new multiverse. So we knew that they were marginally linked, um, but bringing in John Wesley Snipe to play the flash of a justice society um, really does bring, bring the two shows, well, bring the show officially into the Arrowverse. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, you've not seen Stargirl, but you, you must have seen The Flash, have you? Yes, of course. I've seen The Flash. Yeah. Um, but you and Robbie really seem to like Stargirl, so I might need oh, to so, put that on my oh, list. so good. Actually, out of all of the Arrowverse shows, it is the best one. And it's nice that it's short, like 12 episodes. Uh -huh. um, and I would say it's generally family-friendly. But there is there's one definite episode. Like, there was one episode which covers a topic which, um, unfortunately, still happens. Um, what do they call it? You know, when... Um, somebody shares a picture that's you know, it's, um, you know a naked picture or whatever that there was one of those things happens in one of the episodes mm. um so that that was a show that was an episode that we kind of didn't allow our children to watch um because they're much younger you know? um mm. like obviously my 10 year old as she's starting to get older that's something 
I'll need to know, or, or my wife will no doubt need to. Now, does about. your oldest have a cell phone already? Yeah, yeah she does. Yeah. So, was that a fight in your yeah. household? What for her to have one? Yeah. Oh no, no, I wanted her to have one. Um, so, um, I wanted her to have one because we, my parents, have got caravans down the coast, um, mm-hmm. like a static home, um, and it's a holiday home, not a home you can't live in it, um, and. It's a very nowhere's really safe. Like you always have to be cautious, but it's a fairly safe place. And you know, so like I've got two phones, one for work and one personal. And occasionally, like if she was going anywhere, I'd give her my personal phone. Um, like which I'm you know, not that bothered about. It's kind of it's got a few cracks in the screen anyway. <laughs> um, and so I wasn't that bothered if she dropped it. But I'd say to her, look, if, if you know, and I could see her, like, so, so we were like, for instance, I was by the pool and I could see her going around, etc. And this, I'd only hand it to her here and there, just literally, just so I, because I can track where my phone is, for instance. So mm-hmm. I just say, stick it in the pocket. Um, and, and that was kind of fine. Like, anyway, so then when my wife's contract um, it went like about, about a year or so, maybe a year and actually, it's probably a year and a half now she's had a phone. A year and a half ago, my wife's contract, um, uh, we got a new contract. And so her, her old phone, whatever, we gave it to my daughter. And initially we said, look, you can only speak to family. So we set her up on like WhatsApp and everything. And she just talks to like, my pa- my parents, my brother, sister, whatever, and, and my, wife's, my wife's family. And that was all she did originally was just talk to them. But then when the lockdown happened last year around March, um, uh, we sort of, we were happy with her to start exchanging numbers and stuff with her friends mm-hmm. um and actually that's been quite helpful so like not all the time but occasionally she might like video call them or whatever and that kind of thing so uh it's been quite helpful to get through lockdown for her so to not see friends as a 10 year old is quite horrible yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, well even in me you know late thirties, not seeing people is is bizarre but i see more people than she does probably because I do Zoom with customers or my colleagues and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, um, and then obviously do this with you once a week. Yeah. So, like, so I, I'm quite happy to have a phone. But yeah, so that Stargirl thing, um, probably maybe once she goes to senior school in September, is something we probably might need to just make her aware of. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, it's quite a family friendly show. But there's some quite dark moments in it as well, like the mm-hmm. bad guys. The bad guys are probably, I think Robbie said it as well, some of the best bad guys in the CW. Like it's got a good group of villains in there. So I'm going to have to check it out because it seems like the DC Universe shows, former DC Universe shows, now HBO Max shows, seem to be like that because I've heard a lot of good things about Doom Patrol as well and Titans. Have you not seen Titans? Nope. Oh, so good. So good. Like, yeah. See, I know I've heard people slag it off, but obviously there's always been people that like stuff and people that don't. I love Titans. It's so good. But like, that is not family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Just now, I can assure you, there's no way anyone's children should watch that. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty violent, pretty dark. It's so good. Like, yeah. It's got some really good, it's got some really good standalone episodes in there as well as like team team episodes. It's, yes. Like, so Speaking- in season two. In season two, they introduced Superboy. Um, so, yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, honestly, yeah, watch the Titans. Now both two, season one and two are available. Like, you could just binge those. Like, yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah. So, anyway, Stargirl, um, 
let me know what you think if you pick it if you watch it uh, i will put it on the list um, and continuing on with the not family friendly, the Mortal Kombat trailer came out this week and it was awesome. Uh, we get to see so many fighters. We see Sonya Blade, Kano, Jack, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Liu Kang, Kung Lao, Raiden, Melina, Goro, Shang Tsung, the new character Cole Young. Where is Johnny Cage? Why don't we see Johnny Cage? Also, uh, how is it that Liu Kang and Kung Lao are both in this film when Liu Kang is supposed to be a descendant of Kung Lao? Um, that's that's my question. How are we time jumping here with with gener- with a big generational gap between two people? Anyway, trailer to me looked awesome. I love Mortal Kombat. Love the franchise. I have enjoyed playing those games for a very long time. Um, they have fatalities in the trailer, which are completely brutal and awesome. Uh, there is blood and gore and violence and it if you are a fan of Mortal Kombat I can't imagine that you looked at this trailer and didn't geek out like it it looks really awesome and it looks like it is made for fans of the franchise I don't see too many newcomers coming into the series like oh hey this looks pretty cool let me check this out I think this is definitely the kind of movie for people who are already Mortal Kombat fans I um, obviously watched it. Um, I, I'm not as big a fan as Mortal Kombat as you are. Um, <laughs> but it did make me re-look at it. So this weekend, I, did, I didn't even know how many films there were. So there's three more combat films, two that are linked to live action and one animated movie that came out last year. So maybe we should put those down on our list of things that we, t- that we look at later in the year. Um, I, I've never watched them, so I'd be keen to, to watch them. And uh, I can't give an opinion without having watched something like and. Um, I watched uh, the first Mortal Kombat so much that I ran through three VHS tapes. That's how <laughs> long ago that movie came out. VHS. In 1995, that came out. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, I, I remember having that conversation with someone ages ago. You can't give an opinion unless you've watched it. Like, uh, <laughs> I hate, I hate it when I hear somebody go shit, and I'm like, have you watched it? No. I'm like, so how do you know shit? It looks shit. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so you've watched the trailer, yeah. So. From a two-minute trailer, you're saying it's, it's fine for you to say the trailer right. looks like shit, but like, yeah. how, how do you know that the whole thing? And I, like, yeah, I remember that. That was a guy I worked with who he used to criticize me for for any of the geek stuff that I used to watch. Like, um, anyway, um, so yes, my opinion of the trailer, I, I kind of said it looks shit, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I equally though I did say there were moments in there I thought looked quite cool. Um, but I am prepared to watch it. So I do think the action does a very high budget. You know, they've put a lot of money into that. You can see that. Yeah. And, and when I played Mortal Kombat as a kid, I haven't played it since I was probably about 16. I, my favorite character is Sub-Zero. Like, always Sub-Zero. Uh, my like, favorite character was Scorpion. <laughs> like, and um, I remember I used to have, like, a, like, an anime poster or something of Sub-Zero in my room. Like, um, and it was a pretty cool poster. Um, but, yeah, when Sub-Zero came in in the trailer, I was like, oh, Sub-Zero. I was like, yeah. so that was See? the one bit that got me that was the one bit that got me excited i was like i love like, oh was... man i listen um my Didn't favorite some... fatality from the game uh because i used to play the mortal kombat game that was on uh super nes so my favorite fatality from that game was scorpion would rip his mask off and then it would just be a skull and he would like breathe fire onto his opponent as his fatality oh man i would I will lose my mind if that happens in the film. 
just remembered um, Sub-Zero had his own game. Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero. Oh, I, can't, I can't remember it exactly, but I just looked it up now. Like, he did have his own game. Um, oh, man, it looks so old when you look at it. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, some, um, of the, some of these games don't age well, that's for sure. Yeah, it's on the PlayStation, on the original PlayStation. It came out in 1997. That's the year I left school. Um, I... I'd be quite keen to pick up a couple of these old games. I was going to pick up a PS2, actually, like an old PS2, because there's some games you can't get on my PS4. Um, I want to play some of the original Tomb Raiders, so maybe I might grab like a couple of original uh, Mortal Kombat or something. Um, I do love old fighters. Like, Mortal Kombat uh, was the first game I actually beat. I could only beat the game as Sonya Blade, though, and I didn't really like playing as Sonya Blade, but that was the only way that I could get past Goro <laughs> and Shang Tsung. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so more DC EU news. Um, DC have announced um, in the up and coming Flash movie it's going to feature Supergirl. And if you go to the director's Instagram page, he releases a two minute video. And the director is Andy Vaschetti. And what was really cool about this was he released a two minute video where he got Sasha Kelly from The Young and the Restless on just to say that he had a few more questions about the casting and she was really cute and lovely. It was like, yeah, yeah, just ask me some questions, you know, like, of course she's going to say that, you know, like anyone would, anyone who really wants a role, like they're not going to dis- dismiss it, but she was very friendly and welcoming about it. And his question to her was, can you fly? And she was like, what do you mean? Can I fly? <laughs> um, and then he just gets out the Superman costume. and was like, cause you're going to need this. Um, uh, it looked like a Superman costume to me. It was the same colours, but um, yeah. I'm sure I'm assuming they haven't made the Supergirl costume yet. And um, she's like, was like, why are you showing me this? And he's like, because you're Supergirl. And it was just so lovely to see her reaction. Yeah, um, she got very. It was so it. sweet. Wow. She was yeah. she was really cute, and she cried. It was great. It's great to see people get super 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 excited about these kinds of roles. Yeah, no, I, I'm. It makes me. I was going to watch this movie anyway, because well, this is the DCEU Flash movie, right? So does that yeah. mean that that extra pod that we saw in Batman versus Superman was actually Supergirl? Is that what we're finally going to get to know? That probably. Well, that's probably her, always her because we knew that there was always. Well, I, there, there, was there was a point in time where pod, I thought it could have been the dog. <laughs> Maybe, like, but I'm assuming dog. it's a Supergirl. I'm assuming it's Supergirl. Like, how exciting! Um, by the way, uh, if you go and watch Titans, they do have crypto. Um, so they do have the Superdog. Crypto, so, so cute. Like, <laughs> so if you're a fan of crypto, he is in Titans. But Supergirl is going to be in there in the Flash movie, and Sasha Kelly will be Supergirl. Awesome. Apparently, and- by the way, they auditioned something like 400 people. Um, and didn't didn't tell them all that they were what role they were going for. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, How many directors has this movie had so far before they've even started production? Isn't this like the fourth director that this film has had? I don't know. Like, I think uh, I think so. Um, moving on from that, we finally get some uh, some pretty cool news in my in my book anyway. Uh, Wednesday Adams, yes, of Adams Family fame, is getting her own live action Netflix series. It is going to actually be helmed by Tim Burton. So I'm super, super eager to see what that's like because if it is anything like the live action Beetlejuice movie, I am so stoked because that live action Beetlejuice movie is one of my favorite, like, 
favorite campy films of all time. Um, so the series is going to follow Wednesday while she is a student at the Nevermore Academy. And it's going to have like a supernatural mystery thriller kind of theme to it. So think like Scooby-Doo, but perhaps a little bit darker. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I don't really know if it's officially titled yet, but uh, yeah, so uh, the Wednesday Adams is getting her own standalone series. So pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool that Tim Burton's coming back. Yeah, it'll be his first time doing anything, any directing for TV. Yeah, I, yeah Netflix must have given him a good, good sales pitch. <laughs> so moving on to our reviews. Uh, Black Cotton issue one from Scale Comics, written by Brian Hawkins and illustrated by Patrick Foreman. Um so it's the first issue of a six-issue miniseries, and it's about the role reversal of black and white people. And it follows a family that call uh, their surname is the Cottons. That is pushed throughout quite a lot, <laughs> which I found quite weird. Um, they they seem to end every sentence or something. Well, no, no, sorry, every conversation with black cotton. It's just bizarre. There's so much about this book is bizarre. Um, I probably it feel almost like... feels like a Hail Hydra, right? Like the, the way that they just kind of throw that in there, it's very, it's, it, that's what it reminded me of. Like when I was reading it, I was like, is this the equivalent of Hail Hydra? So the book, the book, the book, book the book starts, right? Like with, um, the policeman so they've all this it's a quite wealthy black family but it starts with um, a policeman elijah cotton he's a policeman and he's following uh, somebody down like a, a street who's got a hood on um and ends up shooting them unfortunately and um not killing them but injuring them uh quite significantly and it turns out this is a white and in speech marks minority um and that's kind of the opening moment literally it's two pages no it's three yes yeah, three is it three pages uh yeah three pages of that and then we end up with this newspaper thing of billionaire son cop uh you know, shooting unarmed white woman and, and that's kind of what brings you into this world to let you know that the roles have been reversed now if you look up the um uh, the synopsis, it does actually say to you that this is set in an alternate world where the roles have been reversed. But other than that, you kind of jump into this with not much, there's no background. You just drop straight into it. They don't lay the groundwork at all for you here. There's, which, if you, the more you, you know, if you read this issue, I think it's really pained, like, how they went about putting this together. So, for me, it felt like the creators were going for the impact, and the impact was black guy shoots white woman. Then we're saying black man and family are billionaires, and and we, you know, and, and when they're saying here straight away minority white woman, they're kind of laying it for you that the roles have been reversed, but they're not giving you, I think, any like any something to tie yourself to to, to make yourself 
like any like world building world building is right. probably the best way of, like, of describing it where well, like when they always tell authors show don't tell like yeah you you have not shown me in this issue that roles have been reversed you have you have told me in the synopsis but you have not shown that in the actual pages of the book so i think i i mentioned to you before we started recording like we reviewed the first six issues of the resistance by uh Stravinsky at awh studios and the first issue was very much world building <clears throat> it was all about the um the superheroes and and the the, the massive global pandemic and, and all the rest of it and and so there's nothing to really tie to the characters but it was a good first strong issue because it laid out the groundwork and then you spent the next five issues following the characters in the world so you understood the world you understood the rules um and that made it easier then to follow the characters in a world which you knew what was going on this is this drops you in with not knowing what's going on mm-hmm. so and not understanding and i think the problem here is we don't know why the roles have been reversed um so but you therefore- don't you again like without the description you don't get that feeling like if uh, at face value, if I just picked this book up and didn't read a description of it, all I can see is this asshole cop's family is really rich and they're trying to pay off the victim that the cop shot. That's mm-hmm. all I get from it. I like reading the book. I cannot tell just from the book itself that society has been flipped. Mm. Well, as you get throughout the book, you you can see that, but I, I don't know, like. Oh, I don't know because we, we were talking about this as well. Like, I feel like, I feel like the, I think they should, should have taken, taken a different approach because they, so they talk about the cottons and how the cottons have built up, um, you know, they're, they're all, how their wealth has come about. They kind of touch on the fact of how wealthy they are and how uh, you know, their family's been around for like a hundred years or something like that. And what would have been really cool is to me like i would love it if almost this had been say the third part and say a trilogy of miniseries or mm-hmm. something like that like and say have the first miniseries showing the cottons arriving in america and because um, there was an interview that the, the you that we sort of talked about how the writers gave an interview about saying oh imagine if the like, black people come to america as immigrants and actually somehow they'd risen up quicker than the white people had uh, you know and they were saying that this book is more of a mindset Mm-hmm. But, they, but, they, but you know, to get that information, we've had to go on the internet and read yes. an interview, and not yes, everybody. We had to do research like, to get yeah. that. Yeah, that so, is not given to you in the book itself. No, so I like. I feel like I'm comfortable almost talking about this book. It's making, like not because of the premises, just because I think really it's just so badly put together. It's, it's <laughs> like, a, it, to me, like, it's a poorly executed project. I can I can see on the one hand how they would try to say let's play the what if game, right? Let's play the what if game and, and what if black people were the majority and white people are the minority? Okay, fine. But the only way that a majority minority system works is if the minority is oppressed. If there is no oppression, then there is no, there's no resistance to the system, right? So like even, even in societies where classism is, is, you know, primarily heavily, like in some of, you know, like in India, for instance, how they have the caste system, like it's the, the people that have the power do as much as they can to take that power away from the people who don't have it. Right. So like mm-hmm. you, you can't, 
to say like and like you said we had to go and do research and find this interview because we had so many questions after we read this book but the interview they say oh well we just we're flipping the roles of whites and blacks and in america but we're going to take slavery out of the equation um america doesn't exist without slavery america would never be the country that it is today if slavery had never happened and that is period so you you can't reverse the roles of American society by taking away the one thing that literally created American society. So I, I get that you're trying to create an alternate universe, but you haven't created the conflict that created these two majority minority quote unquote races, right? Like you, you haven't put in the background work to create uh, the conflict in the first place. Yeah, it doesn't... Um... Uh, yeah, like I think, like if they'd shown how it came about, like right, your fr- your yeah. first book is supposed to be the hook. The I, and and with comics, we all understand that comics are always part of a series. It's very rare that you get standalone stuff, especially like in single issue format. Obviously, like you know, sometimes you have a graphic novel that's a one off, and that's fine. But we understand that there's more to come down the line. However, it is your job to explain why I should come back for a second issue. And I get that you can't, you can't put the whole story into this. This is, this is smaller than a normal comic book would be. This is 21 pages versus, you know, sometimes comics are like 28 or 32 pages. I get that you had less space to tell the story, but mm. you should have utilized the space better. Instead of showing us the bickering with the family, that entire bickering part with, with Elijah as the head of the Cotton family, that could have been in the second issue. We don't need to see the family conflict if we don't understand the overarching conflict of the book itself. Because I mean, even I was going to say, even if you, because obviously this is an indie comic book company, mm-hmm. and I understand that, like, you know, it's not Marvel and DC, and they can't necessarily throw money around to, you know, roll out the. I know I said about hypothetically if this had been the miniseries of a trilogy, blah blah blah. I understand that. Could, can't always happen but if this had been the say the first issue as it is what would have been much more impactful would have been to have that cop get, uh, get through the shooting at the end of the book right like and, and actually what would have been cooler is to have maybe followed the black cop on his day-to-day duties yeah um with his partner and you know it could have been that they're driving around and you know i'm not saying that like you know Elijah needs to be a racist he could just you know he could equally just be a normal guy doing his job right. but like maybe have him with his partner who maybe two black cops and maybe the black guy makes a lot, a lot of white derogatory comments yeah and then vice and then show the white white person you know kind of flick between them make those two the main characters of that first issue like and then show her going about her day-to-day you know thing and show show the oppression somehow mm-hmm. like like you know and maybe even have um, them run into each other at the beginning of the first issue, also, like at the beginning of it, have some sort of conflict, and then at the end of it, like they get shot or something, or show 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 her her struggles. You know, maybe maybe right. Maybe there's some some um, things in in the in the world in which you know white people can't do, for instance, like show you know like you know like I know how it was in America in the sixties. You know, like the 
like people can't sit at the at the bar or at the cafe uh, mm-hmm. you know um, and also the split bus system and stuff like that maybe maybe some of that stuff still exists now like for instance like in, in this alternate world of black cotton Right. And then maybe they could have shown that to make us buy in more to right. this to this world. Right. The buy-in. Right. There's no buy-in for this book. Yeah. With without yeah. the description of the book beforehand, without the description that tells me what to expect in this series beforehand, I can't tell just from this first issue that roles have been reversed, especially because the issue is black and white. The cover is in color, but the issue itself, all the pages, they're black and white pages. So if I'm looking at the black and white pages, you can kind of tell just because the artist kind of did do distinct like African-American features on, on the cotton family, but like, you know, you can't tell who's who or which race in the issue itself, but I'm supposed to still believe that society has been reversed, but like you, you stripped out the color. Mm. Okay. I can, I can see where you might have been going with that, but you still don't give enough meat to the story itself to bring me into this alternate reality. I have not bought into this alternate reality in this first issue at all, because yeah. all I can see in this first issue is, is a cop shoots a kid in a hoodie. That's what I see in this first issue. And I'm fucking sick of seeing that on my TV all the time. And, you know, you just mentioned about the artwork actually. So the art itself, not overly got a problem with it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't love the art, but I think, because they said deliberately they didn't put color in and i think that was a bad move um in my opinion i think it should have said but actually what i do like is the cover like i like the mm-hmm. uh, i like the, i like the colors on the first cover oh, sorry on the cover um i like the uh, um sort of it's almost like watercolor mm-hmm. um i would have loved it if they could have incorporated that into the book may have may have helped my opinion of this book not not massively because the story is still the same story but it could have helped to tell this story in a much stronger light. Because I know they made a comment in their interview about not seeing color. Well, you're mm-hmm. telling a book about color. So, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, what, I mean, did, oh, I don't know. I just, I, I would, I would love to just be in the room and people. I'd, I've said this about many shows, even shows, show, sorry, uh, comics and TV and movies. Mm-hmm. I've said this about things I love as well. Like I'd love to be in writers' rooms, or obviously this wouldn't have been on the room, but like for two creators, they probably just did it hanging out or on Zoom or something. Yeah, but like I would love to just be like a you know, oh, you know what do they call it on the, on the, on the wall watching the storyboarding, you know, yeah, like uh, just to see how they how they got together and how how they like what part did they really think all of this was a really good idea? Like, and yeah. so the concept is a good idea. Yes, I'm like, not upset like, with the concept of a societal reversal. I'm not upset with that at all. What so, what what my problem is 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 you don't you don't give me that in the first issue. And if you don't give me that in the first issue, why the hell would I pick up the rest of them? Because based on the first issue, it doesn't, it, I can't tell that society is, is, is flipped. And I know that the the book specifically uh, mentions implicit bias and maybe I just can't get past all of the stuff that I have seen, that I have experienced as a black woman in America. Like I, I can't put those things aside. And to me, it just feels like this book has glossed over the, the history of how we got here. Like, if, if you wanted to present a story where slavery didn't fuck up an entire population of people, 
then you should have done that in the first issue. You should have put your efforts into making me believe in this new society first. That's that's what you should have done. And save all of that exposition about the family being jerks, about all of that, all of that stuff. Save all of that for the next issue because I am not attached to these people yet. I have no attachments whatsoever. I don't like or dislike any of these characters because I don't know them. And and nobody has given me a reason to like them yet. Yeah, I still I think I stand by my thing. I think the first issue should have been simplified. It should have just been about the cop and and the and the lady that he shot and showed them flipping between their lives and then build up to that impactful moment and not have that in the first two or three pages. And then, and then, and then issue two and three. Let's bring in the families. And, yeah, yeah. And you life. save you save um, the secondary characters for the next issue. The fir- the first yeah. issue should be introducing me to the world and introducing me to the person that I'm going to follow through this world. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, so when when we we talked about this a little bit, that there's um a book series called Knots and Crosses, and yeah, it's what five books and four novelers and a TV series, and we, we won't talk about it too much now. But the, the, the premise of Knots and Crosses is the role reversal of black and white, um, but in Europe, and um, it's massively popular, I believe. And I was fat, they got a TV series. But when I read this, I was like, did they just copy Knots and Crosses before? <laughs> The thought, well, actually, like we won't put a background around it because we don't actually. To me, it just felt lazy. Basically, it felt like we won't put a background around what happened because who gives a shit about that? And we don't yeah, really but, know what happened. So, I like, give a shit. I give so, a shit. Like because know, this, know, is, this is a sensitive topic, you know. Like so, if I'm going to compare this to other comics, there is a comic um, called Black, and the premise of that comic is basically it's like this world, but this comic still plays the what if game. So it's you know, black people are still oppressed. There's still police brutality where there's still, uh, you know, injustice going on. But this comic poses the question, what if only black people had superpowers in a society that already hates black people? Now that is, that is a what if concept that you can, you can play up to. Like if you're going to well, take- That's why Black Mars Studios, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So if you're going to take the, the race concept and bring it into comics and reverse it, I I am okay with that, but like you didn't you didn't do the work that would have been required to make this. And like I this this comic actually made me so angry that it's one of the first times I actually actively sought out other reviews of the comic, you know, before we kind of sat down and and started to record our podcast. And I read a review from one guy who literally made a Skittles joke in his review. And that pissed me off because that that remark about the Skittles is a direct correlation to what happened to Trayvon Martin, who was not shot by a cop. He was shot by a, a freaking asshole that said he was on like neighborhood watch. But he literally had tea and Skittles and he got shot. The kid is dead because he was carrying tea and Skittles. And for some asshole comic reviewer to make a snide side comment remark about whether or not the white girl in this comic actually had Skittles, it just, it's, it's like everybody else that has read this thinks that, oh, this is, this is so great. This is, this really makes you think. And it's like, no, it doesn't. This, they, they didn't put in the work to building this world. And if that comes later in the six issue arc, 
that's too late because the the whole and it you know if we go even back to our wonder woman review like the whole my whole problem with wonder woman 84 is they did not do a good job of establishing the suspension of belief at the beginning of the film because you did a poor job of establishing that at the beginning now i have issues with every single thing that comes up later because it's like i am not bought into this film i have not bought into this book and and just like and again i I understand that they're trying to get people to put aside their implicit bias, but it is obvious that I cannot do that um, because it just, it almost feels like it's insulting because you, you, again, the, the first issue does not present a reversal of society. So as I'm reading this book, all I see is a mob of white people that have signs that say white lives matter, which can be triggering um you know you you have things like that also this this cop shot an unarmed person on the street that's terrible that happens way too often however it is very rare in our society where a cop shoots a person and the person survives so to get to the end of this book and to see that the girl survived the gunshot also really pissed me off because it's like also, the cop's family is the one that is trying to get involved, trying to talk to this girl's lawyers, to her family, to say, how much money do you want to make this go away? That's not how that works. The, the, the cop's families don't get involved in this kind of stuff. Like, if, if a cop is involved in an officer-involved shooting, it's the city's problem. The city is going to send the lawyers to talk to the victim. The city is going to send lawyers to talk to the family. It, it is not a familial kind of thing where like the family jumps in and says, how much do you want to make this go away? Like, and again, the only reason I feel that way with this book specifically is because I have not bought into the idea that you are selling because you did not do a good job of presenting it. Also, like, you know, the, the moment the, um, of the shooting, she turns around and has nothing in her hands. So at what point did he feel threatened? So Well, now I, that is the question. Now that part, I, that is the only part of the book that I thought was fairly accurate because that happens all the time. These unarmed people are shot for no freaking reason. No reason whatsoever. And it's always the cop saying, oh, I feared for my life because self-defense is, is defensible in court, right? Now, what was also different about this book, uh, which I don't know if this plays up to the societal reversal or whatever, but what's different about this book is that the cop, Zion, actually feels remorse for having shot this girl. Now, that rarely, rarely happens here. So it, I can see that being fiction for sure, because, I mean, I'm not going to get into the realities of it. But like the, the fact that he's remorseful is a very different take on what actually happens. And I would have been like, I don't think maybe stronger if he had actually maybe was not remorseful and right. actually was standing by his action, like, no, yeah. no, you know, if yeah. he had throughout the book stood by it, no, no, I felt whatever, or, you know. How, like, there have been so many people in, in reality where the entire interaction has been caught on film and cops are still acquitted when it's like, we can see you on film doing the exact opposite of what you testified to in your affidavit. Like you, you lied, you, you lied on your legal piece of paper and we can see that, but we're still going to quit you anyway. So, so like yes. that, that's the whole thing with this book. Like 
the 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 way that cops are structured in this society now again this could be maybe something that you planned on explaining in later issues but in order for me to buy into the reversal from the beginning i i need to know that that that's how this is going to work because cops have qualified immunity so that's why so many of them get off with all of these things after they kill people so you're not keen to carry on, and I'll be absolutely not. I, I, I'm not keen to carry on either. And I, 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 I felt generally this was a really badly planned and written comic. And it's not. A, it's been a long time since I've read something. I thought actually this is not very good. Mm-hmm. The art, the art itself, I did feel the artist actually has done a really good job. I didn't mind the art. The the art um, would have been like the one bright spot of this comic to me. Uh, they do. They were missing a trick with the coloring. They should have colored it. They should have, you know, whoever did the actual front cover. Um, uh, I can't see what it says. There. But anyway, um, whoever colored the front cover should have probably colored the whole book. I think the water coloring on the front cover was really good. So that that should have been something they did. And I, I don't know where these two their mind. I know they said this book's a mindset. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't figure out where their mindset was. Like, yeah, no. there's the the again. I keep saying it, but there's no buy-in. Like, there's there's no point in this first issue that their vision comes across in the first issue. Mm, yeah. And if uh-huh. if your vision is the core of this entire alternate reality, it should have had more space in the first issue for mm-hmm. me to also buy into it. That's that is the problem here. It makes me wonder what the next five issues are even going to be about. To be honest. Um, but anyway, so we rated this um, the art three out of five, and like we said, the artwork we're okay with, um, and the story we gave one out of five, which is our first ever one out of five. So it took a lot to get us to give a very low grade. Um, yeah, I'm like you, I've heard that there's people on, on the internet that seems to be loving this, but uh, I'm not entirely convinced where this is going. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be keen to read other people's reviews and see what they thought but i wouldn't i wouldn't pay for any further issues yeah this. i just think like one of the, uh, one i wouldn't of the, even pick it up collectively either. no no not at all i think one of the things that bugs me so much and again you know i will be the first to admit this is definitely i am not the audience for this book uh but like if you want me to buy into the story i can buy into the fiction behind it i can buy into a role reversal society i don't have a problem with that if it's laid out correctly but like to me it almost seems callous that you have this black cop that shoots a white girl and we actually had people like Emmett Till who was a 14 year old boy, black boy who got murdered by two white guys because he allegedly whistled at a white woman and she came out years and years and years after that uh, boy was dead and said that that's not what happened. But, but things like that happen happened 66 years ago it's not even we're not even that far removed from that and i can't i can't put aside the reality of the way that black people have been mistreated in this country by the criminal justice system by the authorities for this fiction that you have created when you have not actually laid the groundwork for me to buy into this fiction so you you haven't done the work to make me turn off my own reality and jump into your reality. Okay, we'll we'll end our black cotton review, and um, both of us didn't enjoy it. Basically, 
and we're not really sure what, what the other reviewers saw. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll come back to the concept uh, a little bit later on in the review because um, when we summarise this episode. But anyway, Jasmine, take it away. You know, one day the last one of you will ask me, why did you work with Dracula himself to murder all the people? And you know what I'll say. It's because you're all so fucking rude. All right, moving on to Greener Pastures. Uh, Castlevania season three. We have finally wrapped up um, the last available season. This season dropped right at the beginning of all of the lockdowns, all of the quarantines, all of all of that. Um, so beginning of March 2020, season three dropped. It is 10 episodes. It's the longest of the three seasons so far. Uh, we have already had all of the big battles conclude. We had the big battle in Brela. Uh, we, uh, Dracula is dead. Trevor and Sipa have left Alucard to his own devices and they have rode off into the countryside. So season three kind of picks up exactly where season two left off. Um, my, one of my favorite things about season three, which it doesn't always work for most television shows because you know, generally too much going on is not a good thing. But season three is telling, you know, four concurrent stories all at the same time. So the the 10 episodes don't feel like 10 episodes because we don't spend a significant amount of time consecutively with any one group of people. Um, so, but the, the best part is sometimes it can get repetitive when TV shows do that because it's like, they'll show you one character going through a day and then they'll show you a different character going through the same day. And so some of the events overlap and it can get a bit repetitive, but season three of Castlevania manages to not do that at all. There's so much going on, so many different locations, so many different people to keep up with, but each location and each character is going through something that is so uniquely different than what the other characters are going to through that none of the stories overlap. Um, And I think that's, that's like the best part. So I'll start with, with Isaac, he's one of my favorite characters in this entire series. Uh, poor, poor Isaac. Um, so Dracula saves Isaac's life at the end of the second season, much to uh, Isaac's dismay, because he was wholeheartedly ready to give his life to save Dracula. Um, and I think, I think Dracula genuinely liked, maybe even loved Isaac. As, and you know, maybe like as a son or something like that. But. Uh, I think Dracula really, really did care deeply for Isaac, which is why he sent him away. So he sent Isaac to, we're assuming, some desert somewhere far away, either somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in um, Africa. And Isaac is miserable. He is miserable because he has no idea what has happened to Dracula. Um, and he has no idea like where he is. So he's got to get his bearings to kind of get himself together. And he is hell-bent on finding Hector because this is all Hector's fault for betraying them. So he, he has his revenge in his mind and he is, he is determined to make it happen. So it starts out with him at like this oasis in the desert, just trying to drink some water by himself. He is approached by this group of uh, travelers. I don't know, thugs, whatever you want to call them. And the, (laughs) the unfortunate thing with Isaac is nobody will leave him alone. And he literally tells them, he's like, look, there is enough water here for all of us. And if you just let me finish, 
there will be plenty of water here left for you when I am gone. Of course, they don't do that. And he kills them all easily, mind you, because he's a badass. And then he turns them. So now he's already started his little night creature army. Um, But the theme with Isaac through the whole season is every time he considers giving humanity a chance, every time he thinks that maybe you are going to be different than the last asshole that I came across, he is proven wrong. And every town he comes now granted he is traveling with night creatures so i mean i can imagine how night creatures would be very off-putting for people but mm-hmm. every town that he comes to he is accosted by either the army or other people and nobody just lets him through and he's always very straightforward he's like look here's the deal i need to get to the port and then i will leave your city and the, the people are like no 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 you got to turn back you can't even come through the city to get to the port and he's like all right, I gave you the chance. So then, you know, all those guys got to die, but now they all come and join his army. So it keeps happening to him again and again and again and again, everywhere he goes. Um, and so like by, by the end of season three, I think you, you almost feel like Isaac is just tired. <laughs> like He finally sits down at the end after he literally fought an entire town of people to stop this mad magician from uh, having lordship over the entire town. But he literally just kind of sits down at the steps of the city and he's like, either other people are going to inhabit the city or it's going to be a giant memorial. Um, But he's still hell bent on getting to Brela because that's where Hector is. Hector is uh, not Brela. Um, Oh, great. Now I can't remember the name of the city. Anyway, wherever Carmilla's castle is, is where he needs to go because he knows that Hector is in Carmilla's castle. So he is hell bent on making his way to Europe with his army to bring his vengeance down upon all of them. Um, I am super interested to see what happens with Isaac, especially in the fourth season, because uh, in another arc in this season, we see that Dracula is alive in hell um, and that there is a way to potentially bring him back from hell to the land of the living. So what happens if they bring Dracula back from hell? What, what does that do for Isaac then? Um, so I'm, I'm super interested to see where Isaac's story goes, uh, as far as Carmilla. Uh, so when we finally start with the third season, Carmilla has made it with her army. They have marched 800 miles over 30 days. Uh, she is back with her sisters. Um, her sisters are Morana, Lenore and Striga. And her scheme is basically the lie that Dracula told her scheme is going to be Look, we're going to section off this piece of, you know, land from well, it's 800 mile stretch of land. We're going to section it off and we're going to herd humans into this area. And that is going to be our, basically our cattle stock. So we're never going to run out. And Carmilla is so snarky that at one point she's like, the great thing about humans is if you leave two of them alone together long enough, they're going to make more humans. <laughs> um, so she's basically planning on having a never ending supply of humans in this little corridor. But of course, she needs an army to make that happen. So that's why she's kept Hector around. Um, so the whole arc here is that Hector, you know, Carmilla beat the shit out of him, like, and literally made him walk behind a horse, chained the the entire way back to her castle. So he has been beaten, he has been abused, um, and now he's in a jail cell. And 
So of the sisters, Lenore is what they call the diplomat. So she's the one that's sent down to talk him into doing his uh, forge master duties and building them an army. So the whole season, Lenore is trying to get onto Hector's good side. And you can see what's coming a mile away. You can see that she is scheming just as hard as Carmilla is. Um, but Hector is so just... I don't know. I don't want to call him dumb, but like, you know, Hector is just like the village idiot almost, right? Like how come everybody else can see what's happening, Hector, except for you? Anyway, he gets caught up in, in a trap, so to speak. Uh, he, he does develop feelings for Lenore and she exploits those feelings by getting him to commit to a magical sort of loyalty spell. And as he swears his loyalty to her, she binds him to her. And as such, the, the way that night creatures kind of work is that they are loyal to the forge master. But now that he has pledged his loyalty to her, the night creatures will also be loyal to her. Um, so that, that pretty much played out exactly like everyone saw it happening. Uh, but it was just nice to see because I, me and Mark kind of disagree on this point. I think Hector deserves all of the shit that he's going through. <laughs> um, Mark, Mark is a little bit more sympathetic to Hector than I am, but. <laughs> oh, so, do you know, with, with that, you can see throughout season three, um, Hector and Lenore, but also uh, Camilla and all of her mm -hmm. um, vampire um, like sisters was kind of like the, well, I think they were all secondary plots to, to a degree. Mm -hmm. I feel like Trevor Belmonte's um, and Trevor and um, Cypher's storyline, Cypher's story storyline was the main bulk of it, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all the other storylines, Hector and Alucard and Isaac, did feel like secondary. They weren't like not important. They were they were important because um, especially, I think you'll see that they feed into season four. Oh, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they're all um, interconnected in some kind of way. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but Trevor and Saifa, uh, sorry, it is Saifa. Trevor and Saifa had the meatiest portion of season yeah. three. So Hector and Lenore, I, every time they went back to Hector and Lenore, I did find it really interesting um, seeing Lenore come in. And initially, I thought she was just being nice. Like, like probably the first episode or two, I thought she was just being nice and civil. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was just going to... I thought I, I was gonna, I could see that it was just more persuasion to try and get him to come round. And I think it was a little bit like, Camilla, why did you beat the crap out of him? Because now <laughs> we've kind of, kind of now got to start again. Like, yeah. had you have not built the crap out of him, like, we could have... Have, you know, we could have been a little bit higher higher up the um, relationship road trying to get him to do what we wanted. Um, so Lenore comes in and obviously they they want to use him to build this army. But at the moment, because he's been beat like, beat, you know, had the crap beaten out mm -hmm. of him, had him dragged down the road, now he's yep. in a jail cell. So how do you get the guy who's literally like been shot on by all of them and yeah. in a jail cell to do what they want? So, <clears throat> and initially Hector thought, because she was being nice that she was going to be a pushover mm -hmm. so he obviously attacked but she her nipped and... that in the bird real quick oh yeah 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 like um and she did come across as friendly like mm -hmm. i admit like and it did come across as a little bit like she was kind of caring and sweet but i did think you know from the beginning she's just going to manipulate him somehow like yes. i didn't i couldn't necessarily I, I didn't see what the end game was she was going to lock him into a spell 
that he wasn't going to be able to get out of. Now I say that there may be a way to get out of it. We just don't know yet. But um, when it eventually did flip, where she went from being completely nice throughout the whole season to the final moment of season 10, those last five, 10 minutes where we see him, uh, see her, sorry, um, say, oh, I've done what I've always wanted, you know, what you've always wanted. You're now my pet. Yes. Um, and when that happened, I was like, okay, so we've gone from you've actually been the really nice civil sister to actually probably one of the most brutal, cunning and, yeah. and actually evil out of all of them because you've actually put across just how sweet you are. Yeah. But actually, but, but none of it was real. Like, yeah. It was, like she that's probably the, that's the what most ma- cunning Oh man, I can't Coming wait to see what she does in the fourth season. But but with Hector, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You know, he he does he will just flip for whatever. So initially, mm-hmm. you know, he he was gonna he was with Dracula, then it betrayed Dracula, and then now he's with Camilla, and <clears throat> obviously Camilla knocked him down because he that's the kind of person he is. Like yeah. you know, she doesn't really want someone who's gonna betray their master. Um, but now they've locked him in. There's no betrayal now. He's got to mm-hmm. do what he's told. So. I did feel sorry for him that he'd started to have feelings for Lenore and then it turned out that actually she was just manipulating him. Which (laughs) I could see see it was manipulation, but Mm -hmm. I didn't realise that it was going to go as far as binding him to a spell. Yeah. Um, But this is where... He should have probably known better than to have right. developed feelings for. That's my biggest problem with Hector. Like Hector and Isaac are complete opposites. Isaac is so loyal to what he believes whether what he believes is right or wrong, it doesn't matter, but he is so driven and focused and loyal to his sort of path, right? Isaac is is neither loyal to his path, nor is he, or Hector is neither loyal to his path, nor is he opportunistic, right? If Hector was opportunistic and he was just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to survive, I would be totally fine with Hector. But Hector is so wishy-washy. He just like, he is a perpetual victim and I can't get behind that. Like, it's just like, dude, take a stand. Like you fucked up and you betrayed Dracula. So what are you going to do? You're going to run back into the castle and apologize, or are you going to go with these other people? Like he's just, he, and it's exactly what Lenore said. And it's funny because that's what he has always done. He was the forge master that always had dead cats and dead dogs around him. And he kind of saw you know, he was mistreated by humanity, but he also saw humanity as an animal, not as human, right? Because he accepted Dracula's terms of, look, I don't want to kill everybody, but I want to call the population, which, you know, sometimes you got to call the population because they're eating too much of a certain material or whatever. So speaking to Hector in terms of pets and animals is sort of like his wheelhouse. And for him to be turned into a pet is is just desserts in in my book like i think i think what's happening to hector is exactly what hector deserves okay let's, <laughs> let's move on to the next character go on so okay <laughs> if we well i'll save trevor and uh, cypher for last but uh so alucard um after they killed dracula at the end of the second season uh trevor cypher and alucard decided that they were going to split up trevor has gifted alucard his family's home and the keep beneath it. So Alucard is now guarding Dracula's castle with all of his knowledge inside of it, and or with all of Dracula's knowledge inside of it, and he is guarding the Belmont keep with all of the Belmont family's knowledge inside of it. Um, Alucard is the first to kind of 
go a little bit wonky. Um, and I, it could just be because he's so lonely. Um, he, he's so lonely that he has, he makes dolls of Trevor and Sypha and he talks as them through the dolls. Um, which is kind of funny on the one hand when you, when you see that sequence, when he's trying to have dinner. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, you poor thing. Like you really need some kind of interaction with, with someone. Um, he loses all sense of time. It's only been a month. But he is already, he said it already feels like he's been alone in this castle for years. Uh, so when he is met by these Japanese travelers, um, Taki and Sumi, he, he, yes, he, he questions their motives. But they, they say that they are there because they had been tracking Cho. And Cho was one of the vampires that was part of Dracula's kind of uh, war council. So Cho is dead. They don't know that Cho is dead. But Alucard is like basically any vampire that was in this castle before we moved this castle is dead. Um, so he's like, well, I, you know, they're like, well, can you teach us how to like hunt vampires so we can take that knowledge back with us to Japan? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they become sort of like friends and he, he shows them the Belmont keep and, and tells them about the weapons that are down there and about all the knowledge that is down there. So he's trying to train them to become vampire hunters so that they can take this knowledge back with them. However, these, those two, Taka and Sumi, have been very abused before they left Japan because they were sort of servants to Cho and her brutality before she left to come to the War Council. And Alucard is, is lonely. I, I don't know. Like, it, it's hard because you don't really know all of Alucard's backstory. Like, what happened to him after, you know, what, what were his teenage years like? What, what, what did he do before he had that huge fight with his father that put him in a coffin for a year? Um, so basically what I'm saying is that they're both broken. Like Alucard's kind of broken and then Taka and Sumi are broken as well. So they don't trust him and they think that he is not giving them all of the information. So by the end of the season, they decide to bed him. And it's, it's, it's almost a sad moment because he's kind of, he, he starts crying at some point and it's just like, it's like the, maybe this is, he, maybe he's thinking like, this is the end of my loneliness. Like, I, I finally have some companions to keep me company. Well, but they betray him and they must have picked up these weapons in the Belmont Keep. That's all I can assume. But they, they trap Alucard in silver. And of course, vampire lore says that vampires are highly allergic to silver. So he can't move. And they try to kill him because they think he's hiding things from them. And the kicker here is that he never lied to them. He never hid anything from them. He never misled them in any way. But they didn't believe him when he said that the castle could no longer move. When it's like, no, it can't move because Sypha melted all of the gears that actually power the engine to move the, the castle. So it's not going anywhere. Anyway, so he, there was a scene earlier in the season where they ask him if Dracula ever used magical weapons. And he's like, no, my father didn't like magic um, or magical weapons. He didn't see the need for them. And he was like, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Well, but we know from the second season that Alucard uses magic when he's fighting because his sword can fight without him actually wielding it. Um, but Taka and Sumi don't know that because he's never had a reason to show them that. Um, so when they have him tied with the silver and he can't move and they try to kill him, he, that's when he finally calls his weapon 
and he kills him first. And it, this, this, his whole arc is really kind of heartbreaking because it seemed like he had come so far and he was ready to make a change and kind of like, you could see that he, he killed his father because he could see the society that his mother wanted him to see. But now because he's had to kill Taka and Sumi, now he's leaning more toward Dracula because as he is walking back into the castle sometime later after they have died, uh, he says, you know, I could easily put up signs. I could tell people, abandon all hope. Don't come here, yada, yada, yada. And instead he says, but this seemed to work for dead old dad. And as the camera pans out, he has staked Taka and Sumi and their bodies are hanging outside, like, in the front of the castle, right by the front doors, the steps leading up to the front doors. And you kind of wonder, like, did these two travelers inadvertently turn Alucard into a villain? And I hope the answer is no, but... Yeah, it's like he's rejecting humanity now. Right, so. right. I mean, I'm assuming when he sees Trevor and Cypher that yes, he probably will see them in season four. I'm hoping that. Hoping, even, I'm hoping. Even yeah, even if there's a little clash, I'm hoping it will get the three of them back together. Yeah, so. that they'll be able to break through to him. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just felt like Alucard's one of my favorites. I love him, and it it made me sad. And I just think that season three did Alucard really dirty. So I hope he gets some kind of redemption in the fourth season. Now, for the meat of the third season is Trevor and Sifa. They kind of have become travelers. So they have a wagon, and they just traipsed along through the countryside, and they kill night creatures, and they have so much fun doing it. Um, basically, uh, Trevor and Sifa have become Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural. They literally just roll from town to town, taking out the monster of the week, and then picking up some coin along the way and moving on to the next town. So they finally get to this one town, and they both kind of think to themselves, like, maybe we can stay here for a little while. Um, but the only reason that they think that is because they both can tell that there's something wrong with the with the monks in this town or with the yeah. the people that are in the priory or the church of this town. So um, some of the voice talents that come into this season, we've got Jason Isaacs, who is the judge of this town. Um, Jason Isaacs is brilliant. I love him. Uh, and you also have Bill Nye as like this sort of magician jester kind of back of all trades kind of thing yeah saint germain um so basically the story with them is there's something going on in the priory in this town a night creature went in there and never came out and ever since then the monks have been obsessed with both dracula and hell which is very odd for for men of the cloth to be obsessed with hell um so the whole town is kind of you know, chafing under the oppression of the, of between the judge and his harsh kind of rule and the monks. So we spend the entire season uh, with Trevor and Sypha and they are trying to get to the bottom of what the hell's going on inside that church. Um, turns out that the night creature is one of the uh, night creatures that Isaac had turned and it talks to the priests or monks at the priory and kind of tells them what Isaac's plan was. And Isaac's plan was always to make sure that we're doing what we can to get rid of humanity to, to, because that's what Dracula wants. So because of that, these monks become obsessed with Dracula, obsessed with how to rescue him. So there's something underneath their church. It's a hidden passageway. It's called the infinite corridor. And it's basically an interdimensional portal. 
So Bill Nye inadvertently opens it at some point. He has, obviously he lost a lover or a wife or someone, a woman that is very, very important to him in this infinite corridor. So he has a dream or he's trying to get a hold of her. And in that dream, we see all these other dimensions. There's a dimension with this uh, robotic two-legged creature that is walking around. We see a dimension with uh, an Aboriginal uh, looks like shaman kind of in the Australian outback. We see another dimension um with a spaceship lifting off so uh it's 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 interesting with this whole dimensional portal kind of adds to the series because it's like before we got to the portal it never occurred to me that they would ever reach into hell and pull dracula out of hell um Mm -hmm. so now that that concept has been presented i really hope that happens for the fourth season and i hope that they bring dracula back uh because i would really love to see a rematch between uh an informed dracula going up against carmilla and her forces um so yeah so the big showdown in in the trevor and cypher story is that everybody in the well the people in power in this town they're all crooked the judge turns out to be this sadistic bastard that kills people um that are disorderly Kind of like the council does in Hot Fuzz, how they kill, they kill the travelers, they kill the teenagers that are unruly, they kill the lady because she wanted to sell her land. They basically, the judge kills anybody who makes his town unsightly. So mm-hmm. uh, he, that's that's the skeleton in his closet. Uh, and then the the friar, it's just they're all terrible people. So there's a big battle at the end and. We finally get down to the night creatures, and it is literally just an entire episode of nothing but fight sequences. It is, they've opened the portal to hell, and out of the portal comes all manner of demons and creatures and all kinds of things. And it is literally just a fight to the death between uh, Sypha and Trevor and all of these things to try to get, because, because Trevor has gotten to the point where he wants to help St. Germain get to whoever it is he's trying to get to inside this portal. So while St. Germain is trying to hold the portal open, that's when he notices that the friar is trying to bring Dracula into back from hell. So it opens up a whole new potential storyline for season four. Uh, but season three kind of ends on a sour note for them as well, because that's they, after the battle, they also that's how they also find out that the judge has been killing people in the town for his own shits and giggles. Um, and it really kind of hurts Trevor's feelings because there, there's a bit earlier in the season where um, St. Germain is surprised that Trevor is offering to help him. And Sypha is like, you know, one time he saw a guy kick a cat and then he broke that guy's leg in three places. <laughs> so like implying that Trevor is a really good guy at heart and he just does not like to see injustice happen to people. Right. Um and the look on Trevor's face by the end of this episode, he is so upset. He is so like, he's probably upset with himself that he couldn't see through the judge's facade. Um, and it's just, Sypha's like, well, so what are we going to do now? And he's basically like, you know, you're the one that wanted to kind of do run, run about from town to town, do X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. So we have lived your life and this is what it has gotten us. And now we're going to live my life. And so it's like, well, what the hell is your life? Like, what are, what are we doing with, uh, with your life? So it's, there's everybody's story kind of ends 
up in the air. There, there are no conclusions whatsoever in the entirety of the third season for anybody's story arc. So it is so wide open for a fourth season. Um, I am super, super stoked. Again, so Netflix released season three at the beginning of 2020. They also said a few weeks after the third season came out that they were renewing Castlevania for a fourth season. However, COVID happened. Um, so there has been no update at all as to when we can expect a fourth season. Um, hopefully 2022, if we're if we're lucky. But uh, I I am super stoked. There's so there's so many things I want to know more about. And my favorite throwaway line from season three is uh, Saint Germain is talking. like Saint Germain kind of has a contentious relationship with everybody in the town. He's talking to the judge one morning, and the judge is like, "Oh, I heard you had drinks with Trevor and Sypha the other night." And Saint Germain is like, "Yeah, well, of course I did. I'm a popular man. They want they wanted to know about toilet paper." <laughs> And the judge goes, what the fuck is toilet paper? <laughs> and it's just like such an out of place mind, but it's so like par for the course for this series. And it just, it just cracked me up. So like I, after I first watched this season, I, I went around anytime anybody asked me something stupid, I would just reply with what the fuck is toilet paper? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say with, with Trevor and Cypher, that was probably my favorite part of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing them, like you just said, on the bandwagon, mm-hmm. but just the banter between them. Mm-hmm. Like, Cypher probably is my favorite character um, in, in just Castlevania, but just I just love the banter and the, the, yeah. the sort of the, you know, the, the interaction and almost like, almost like it's constant, like, it feels to me, it's almost like constant foreplay between both of them. Like, yeah. you know, and like, and like uh, you know, when they're in the town and, you know, they're trying to you know, get them to come and help out and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, it was like, she was always yeah. ribbing him before, like in the second season, yeah, yeah. it was always like, she was always jabbing at him. But in this season, it's like they're in sync with, with oh, their compliments well, yeah, much- and with their insults. So they're much more, they're obviously much more of a couple now. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like, it's really lovely to see that as a couple. And it, so when, 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 anyway, when the town, uh, the guy in the town is trying to get them to come and you know, help out, he doesn't want to get involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and Cypher's like, come on, look at me, look at me. And he's like, no, if I look at you. And then she's like, you'll crack like a chicken. <laughs> like, and, and she's like sort of prodding him. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's, she, she honestly, like, it's quite sort of, I guess the best way is delightful just seeing how yeah. she is with him. Um, yeah, I loved all of that, sort of that, that whole relationship. I wanted to talk about the um, Infinite Corridor, though, you know, with St. Germain. Like, mm-hmm. there was a really cool moment. So St. Germain does go into the Infinite Corridor a couple of episodes before the finale. Um, and he sees all this really crazy stuff. So where yeah. this whole show has been based, like, I don't know, two, three hundred years ago, whatever it is, or I think it's more than that, actually, sorry, four or five hundred years ago, Um he's walking through this corridor and we, we're seeing like some sort of intergalactic spaceship. Mm-hmm. We see, we see, we see some, like he's seeing all these different things. He sees like an Aborigine from probably a thousand years ago or whatever in Australia. But then we see we, what, the one bit that may really maybe like sort of stand up attention was this, we see this like mech with these like mechanoid yeah. legs stepping yeah, yeah. over. And so I was going to say like, this has got to be related to games or something that they've done. So the only thing I can think is, is it meant to be like a Metal Gear Solid sort of reference? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like if someone's listening, you know, let me know. Like, I, I, I've tried to Google it and get an answer, but I couldn't find one. But Yeah, um, we, we assume Metal Gear Solid because uh, Konami... Uh, the game maker for Castlevania also makes Metal Gear Solid. They also make Silent Hill. 
and uh, pro evolution soccer. So <laughs> I don't really know. Maybe that's a soccer bot or something. But, but yeah, so anyway, we enjoy, you know, I really enjoyed season three uh, a lot more. I think it was actually, for me, the probably the strongest season of them all. I loved, I think, it, you know, you, you see this a lot in a lot of shows, like big shows. It's like, you know, even Lost, you build up the characters, you build them up together, have an event that rips them all apart, and then you bring them bring them back together again. So um, I, again, can only assume that in season four, they'll be reunited one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um so it's quite cool to see throughout season one and two, Alucard, uh, Trevor and Cypher as a little team and then them all going their own separate ways. But in season three as well, it concentrated on minor characters from season three, like Hector and mm-hmm. um, Isaac. And Hector and Isaac get much bigger roles. And Lenore actually was a really good introduction in this season. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, in summary, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that we've worked our way through Castlevania and um, it's been a nice little thing that we've done, worked our way through a... Uh, I'm glad I turned culture. you around on it because you were not sure after that first season. <laughs> season one, is still, I still stand by it. Season one was terrible, but season two, <laughs> season two, season two is a lot stronger. But I would say season three was my favorite out of them all. I, I still anyway. two, two is still my favorite, but season three is still really good. Yeah, so we rated it four point five out of five, which Woo! I think is a really good is a really good strong. That's rating. high. So, so we will stop talking about Castlevania now. Um, <laughs> We'll, we will move into our recommendations and our recommendations and our sort of next week. Different format um, for next week. Yeah, different format. Well, we'll discuss that in a minute, but it's um, February's Black History Month in America, and we've got some recommendations that fit in with that, as well as our format for next week. So my, my recommendation is a podcast that I listened to last year, um, and it's a five-part miniseries which explores segregation and and really integration of the American school system. It's set in New York. Um, I think it's set in Brooklyn, actually. I can't remember. But it's by the New York Times. And it's a podcast that took something like five years or something in the making to put together. Um, it's a really interesting series. And for me, I don't know. Obviously, I've been to New York a couple of times, but... I've never been to a New York school and I don't really know much about segregation and, in, and integration in those in the schooling system there. So it was quite interesting to hear really just how wealthy white parents get involved in, in sort of what was predominantly, they, they picked on one particular school um, that was predominantly a black school and to show how the inter- integration had happened and it happened several times by the look of it. So, yeah, I'd definitely recommend it. It's only five episodes; they're each about an hour long, and it's got a quite a you know quite well thought out show. So. And uh, my recommendation this week, in keeping with the Netflix anime theme, uh, if you have not seen it, it came out in 2019. This anime is called Cannon Busters. It is a lot of fun. It is from creator LaShawn Thomas. Um, It follows the story of this somehow mysteriously immortal sort of bounty hunter, kind of bounty hunter. Uh, His name is Philly the Kid. He is really cool. Uh, He is sort of, he goes through the the series with uh, uh, two androids that are, uh, looking for the prince of the town that is supposedly was captured and taken to a place called Gara's Keep. 
Um, basically, it is an adventure tale. It kind of, the animation kind of reminds me of Samurai Champloo. Uh, if you uh, want to go way back on the anime uh, timetable. But Cannon Busters is a lot of fun. It is a shoot 'em up series that feels a lot like Cowboy Bebop. Uh, they are in different sticky situations every week. Uh, Philly the Kid has this badass, like, old-school Cadillac that turns into a giant bull. Uh, his car's name is Bessie uh, that gets them driving through the Badlands and all that stuff. Anyway, Cannon Busters is a lot of fun. It's, it's a story that's got uh, a lot of heart. And um, in keeping with our Black History Month theme, it is from a Black creator. And it is uh, the all, most of the leads in this series are also Black. So Cannon Busters, check it out. It's on Netflix. One season. So next week, we are scrapping the news so we can have a one episode Black History Month special, probably is the best way of describing it. Uh, we will be doing three reviews, and they're all by black creators, one way or the other, whether it's black writers or... We're closing out the month strong. Um, so we're going to review the first season of Noughts and Crosses from the BBC, which is based off a novel series by Mallory Blackman. And let's hopefully see if she... Will, I'm... I'm probably haven't even watched or read any of it yet but i'm sure she's going to do a better job than um black, black Cotton. Cotton. Yeah. um we will also be reviewing bitter root volume one from image comics by david f walker and chuck brown and then for our monthly pilot season we are going to review the first episode of dear white people which is based off the movie by justin simon and as a reminder, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fourth Late to the Party Book Club episode was Monstrous Awakening, Volume 1. Uh, that dropped at the beginning of January. And our next episode, I'm super, super excited about our next episode. We'll be talking about March, Book 1, which is from the late Congressman John Lewis and Andrew Iden. And our special guest for that episode actually met John Lewis and uh, has this really cool photo of her and him at the launch party for March, the graphic novel. So we're super excited about that. That's going to be dropping this month as well. So be sure to check it out. You can follow us on social media. We are Geeks and Niche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn. We are everywhere. So be sure to give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Have a good week, everyone. Stay geeky. Stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>